Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts like today, and moms around the world. Okay, everybody, I am in studio. I am... I feel like I have to let you know every time like what my bodily state is because I'm in my third trimester. I am dripping in sweat. I feel like we're in some crazy hot box because of sound. And um, I've got Jennifer Waldberger with me who is so kindly uh, sitting across from me and and not having a panic attack like she probably should be because it is very warm in here right now. I'm not pregnant, so I'm not as warm (laughs) as you are. I'm doing okay. So... Jen was our very first parenting expert on Atomic Moms way back in episode 18 and 19. And here we are with episode 130. (laughs) Welcome back. (laughs) Thank you. And congratulations. What an accomplishment. Wow. Today, we're going to be talking about sleep. Um, It was the first reason I reached out to Jen way back when. And honestly, I think it is... I think it goes sleep, marriage, what else? Like those are the top two, and then I'd say work for moms, like the big issues that are so life-changing when you have a baby. Yeah, sleep tends to be sort of a perennial hot topic, almost no matter what age your child is. Yeah, I mean, it was a really smart way to go into business, Jen. (laughs) Like it's endless. It was just demand. Honestly, 20 years ago, there was no such thing as help for this other than your doctor saying, plunk them in the crib, walk away, let them cry, it'll be fine. So crazy. And so you and Jill Spivak, who uh, longtime listeners would also remember from our podcast about the Bravo series, There Goes the Motherhood, she had such excellent parenting advice in that episode. You and Jill co-authored The Sleep Easy Solution, The Exhausted Parent's Guide to Getting Your Child to Sleep from birth to age five. And it's sort of a Bible, at least in this town, and I think it is probably across the country. It's an incredible resource. And as you say, it goes through all the ages because there's always new stages, new phases, new obstacles. It's exhausting. We've got a lot to cover (laughs) today. (laughs) Um, And I feel like you and Jill both deserve a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame because you've been saving the sanity of so many mothers for so many years now. Thank you. It's honestly some of the most rewarding work that I do because there's very little in life where you can be totally upside down on a Tuesday and right side back up again a few days later. So true. I have a girlfriend who has just had a rough patch. And then after one night of sleep, I was like, yeah, everything's great again. (laughs) I can accomplish this. It's the bedrock of everything feeling either great or hard about family life. I just cry. As my listeners know, like, if I don't sleep, I just cry. Um, and Perfectly understandable response. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to share these celebrity blurbs uh, because they're fun. And we dive deep on this show all the time. And sometimes I just want to splash in the shallow end. So bear with me, Jen. Uh, ben Stiller and his wife, Christine Taylor, say, This approach was truly amazing in helping our family to thrive. We are eternally grateful. Conan O'Brien says, With their gentle approach, Sleep Easy gave us the tools we needed to solve our daughter's sleep problems. And Greg Kinnear, um, one of my personal favorites, he wrote, 
Uh, Sleep Easy gave us all the tools we needed to get our baby sleeping through the night. Now when we say goodnight to our daughter, we know it really will be a good night. Well, we we happen to live in Los Angeles, so we do have some of those celebrity moms and dads. And we also talk with lots of other moms and dads. And, you know, the interesting thing that we've always found about even our celeb clients, at the end of the day, everybody wants to be a good parent and everybody wants to be a rested parent. And we've had some pretty hilarious stories of A-list actors sleeping in the Scooby-Doo sleeping bag outside of their (laughs) child's room, reading their script, getting ready to go out and film the next day. And you know, they're they're just as dedicated as everybody else. So. And tell me they look just as terrible when they're tired. Absolutely. Okay, good. <laughs> as long as we get that clear. So I'm going to get as much information out of you as humanly possible. Sleep training definitely uh, can ruffle a lot of feathers. Like it's such a loaded uh, phrase. And I feel like a lot of parents envision abandonment or that they're like that the parents are out on the back porch drinking wine while their kid is being traumatized. Um, There's a new article every week about it. Can you sort of clarify your version of sleep training and also what we should steer away from when we're looking into different techniques? Yeah. So first of all, um, at Sleepy Planet, we refer to it as sleep learning rather than training and you but know, then they sound less like dogs. <laughs> exactly. And you're not actually training your baby or child to do something. There's a natural learning process that happens when the weather conditions, so to speak, are set up. The environmental conditions, the timing is right, the way you put them to sleep is the right way, and how you respond to them is, you know, supportive to their learning. So sleep is a natural process. Oddly enough, though, we're not born knowing how to do it. Um, Many babies seem to fall into it, you know, all by themselves, which is fantastic for them. Many others don't. And so um, I think that, you know, the idea that you would teach or, you know, sort of help your child learn how to do something that they really need is is the primal place that, that parents are coming from. So if you don't have a child who doesn't sleep well, If your child's a great sleeper, none of this makes any sense to you. When you're standing in the shoes of being sleep deprived and or seeing the effects of sleep deprivation on your child, then it's really hard. You know, it's really um, the reason we call it sleep nutrition, you know, in terms of the quality and quantity of sleep that they need to get is because it's as important as the food they take in for their well-being. So there's a physical, emotional, and cognitive component to um, babies and children getting the right amount and the right kind of sleep. And, you know, like we were touching on before, if they're not sleeping, neither are mom and dad. So that affects your ability to be the kind of parent that you want to be. It affects your brain, you know, and being able to um, work outside the home if you do that. It also affects your marriage. And it's really easy, when, especially when you have more than one, to be, love you, honey, see when, you know, see them, mm-hmm. see when they're in college. And um, that can't happen. Your kids need you to be present and connected in order to have healthy attachment. So the, you know, new things that you sort of see on the internet all the time, there are lots of opinions out there, but in terms of actual research, there's never been a study that shows that allowing your child to cry for very small periods, minutes at a time 
for a few nights is detrimental. And what do you mean by minutes? Like 60 minutes? No, I'm kidding. No. So the way that we do it, I mean, it's very sort of case by case with each family and their comfort level. But normally we would recommend, um, you know, being in the room after a nice wind down, saying goodnight, um, putting your child down awake, stepping outside of the room for maybe five minutes, coming back in to offer love and assurance and comfort. And so... You know, what we have at Sleepy Planet in terms of our own, you know, reassurance, because we weren't sure in the beginning of our our career 20 years ago, um, we sort of threw spaghetti at the wall. We picked up, we held, we padded, we did all kinds of things coming from a very heart-centered, social work-oriented place, only to find that the things that our hearts intuitively told us to do um, in helping and supporting kids didn't help, and it made the crying worse. And so we hit upon our methods after a lot of trial and error. And what we found is that, um, you know, not only is there no detrimental side effect to leaving the room for a few minutes at a time and and coming back in to offer comfort, but, um, you know, in, in 20 years of doing this, if there were a downside, our book is, you know, all over the world at this point, and We've helped tens of thousands of families. Somebody somewhere would have picked up the phone or emailed us and said, hey, Sleepy Planet, my child's attachment changed. Her personality is mm-hmm. different. Something's off here. You know, So we don't get those emails. So that's our peace of mind. That said, we are not here to talk anybody into a certain way of doing things. So that early episode that we did here at Atomic Moms on Sleep was with Bianca, Mm-hmm. Um, your co-host My co-founder, at the time. Yeah. Uh, Bianca Kylik, who was co-sleeping. And yeah. we got such a huge response. Our 100th episode, you listen to it, Jen. Everybody go listen to our 100th episode um, <laughs> because some of the listeners brought up that episode and how cool it was to hear about, you know, Bianca's journey going from co-sleeping to putting Magnolia in a crib and how Jen helped facilitate that. Yeah, so she did not feel comfortable leaving the room, which is totally fine. We are 100% respectful of a parent's wishes on that. And so, you know, in our book and DVD, in our private consults, we meet a family where they are and we'll find a way to, you know, continue to offer that love and reassurance to the child, whether you leave the room or not. I am really nervous about introducing a new nocturnal roommate coming this July. And so let's start at the beginning, though. Let's start with infancy. So you bring the baby home from the hospital or the birthing center or uh, our girlfriend Marie's uh, master bathroom tub. (laughs) You bring the... That was an accident, everyone. You can listen to her story on the podcast. Um, So you, you bring the baby home. What's the first step? Do they stay in the bedroom with you? So there are new guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics that do suggest that the baby sleep in the same room with parents for at least the first six months, if not the entire first year. Yeah, that really upset me. Like I have acid reflux from the pregnancy, but when I read that a year ago, that that got me going. You're not the only one. It's been quite the the talk, you know, among parents and pediatricians. And so... Um, you know, there there definitely is some evidence to suggest that having a baby in a separate but proximate sleep space 
um, in the room with you during those early months is beneficial. So should um, I have just a really large closet with that count? <laughs> <laughs> the bathroom? So here, here's how I think you've got to break this down. The considerations are, are you going to be breastfeeding? And if you are, then it is often nice to have the baby right nearby so you don't have to walk down right. a hall, right? So that's just convenience. Um, it is also important to not share the bed. So I know that um, some— You just ruffled some feathers. I know. But this is also coming from the AAP, and these are safety guidelines. And so, you know, obviously every parent has to kind of do their due, due diligence and take in this information and take it into their own heart and decide for themselves what's best for them. But um, most of the crib deaths that are not SIDS are due to some sort of suffocation with blankets and pillows or, you know, possibly a parent rolling on top of them. And so, you know, you just need to be safe Um and so, you know, I think that... And be really aware of what kind of mattress you have as well, because I remember my doula came after Sabrina was born and she touched my mattress and she was like, it's too soft. And it wasn't, it, it didn't feel too soft to me. Mm-hmm. So it's another thing to be really aware of. Well, yeah, you know, a lot of times you you see those crib mattresses and you think they're so hard. And the reason that they're created that way is for safety. So that, you know, if a baby should turn over, they're not going to mush down. Yeah. So, you know, these these guidelines have really, you know, made a lot of people consider, how am I going to do this? Because I think, you know, the first couple of months, a lot of parents like to, to share at least a room. Um, going beyond that, though, you know, there's a point where if your baby's not sleeping well and you're up and down all night or, you know, baby's... Um, making a lot of noise and you have a hard time sleeping as a parent and let's say you have older children like yourself or you have a job to go to, it really can become a consideration where you've got to look at the bigger picture of how are the parents functioning with that lack of sleep. So this is really a conversation to bring back to your pediatrician and have with that person so that the doctor can look at your specific situation and your baby and help you make the right decision. Okay. So if I were to say, you know, before this study came out, you know, I want to start sleep training at four months because that's when you guys start, right? I started a little earlier. We Um, usually don't start until four months and 14 pounds because there's a very important cognitive growth spurt that happens between three and four months where babies' brains just explode. And um, you can see, you know, real signs of alertness at that stage. And they get real distractible when they're feeding and they pop off and on. So you can really tell when this is happening. Their depth perception increases. All their senses sharpen. So there's really a couple of considerations here. One is that if you try to do the sleep learning during this time, there's so much activity still going on in the brain and the brain governs sleep function that you could, you know, you could actually get through it potentially, but then it would go upside down again. So that's what happened to us. There you go. It was great. It was not very hard for us at all. And, you know, you know me and my listeners know me, like I don't have to say, like we did it in a very gentle, like sweet way. Luckily, Sabrina was incredibly fat. <laughs> That's <laughs> helpful. It really helped. But but then there was that regression. W- when is the big regression? Is that four months? 
when it really bites everyone in the ass? There's this fabled four-month sleep regression, yeah. which is, it's not really a fable. It's just, you know, but that's what this is referring to. It's so you're this, like, why bother? It's that. And also, because that brain development is really coming along, it's not until four months at earliest that we can safely say the baby has the ability to do the oh, learning yeah. and to remember what to do from one sleep period to the next. So to me, it's not fair to ask a baby to do something they're not really developmentally ready to do. And that's when you potentially risk them crying unnecessarily. Right. Yeah. Guys, isn't Jen the best? She's the best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So to piggyback on this, is there anything that I should look out for or that I should definitely not do as a parent? <laughs> With my little child. So the good news is you have a total pass for the first four months. There are no bad habits. It's all about following her lead. So let her feed when she wants to feed. Let her sleep when she wants to sleep. That's how babies develop their own biorhythms. So don't wake her up to nurse. Well, if you're so lucky to have a baby that's just sleeping and sleeping and sleeping and sleeping... Um, you know, talk to your doctor about this. If there's any issue with like weight or weight gain, your doctor may want you to wake the baby. Usually if there is no issue with that, the doctor will say, hey, you know, bless you. Like let her sleep as long as she can. But um, don't worry about, you know, if you have the kind of baby who needs to be rocked to sleep or fed to sleep or, you know, helped and assisted around this, don't worry about it. There's nothing, and I mean nothing, that you could be doing in that first four months that you can't turn around when the time comes and that brain development is there. So we just have to worry about later, guys. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but if you if you follow the baby's lead, it may be that by four months and that cognitive development is finished, you know, or that burst is finished, that she settles into her own groove and you don't have to do anything. We'll put that offering up to the sleep gods. <laughs> Awesome. And so for the parents who are co-sleeping, what does that transition look like when your child can basically speak back to you? <laughs> well, if so, there's two kinds of parents who are sharing a bed with your older child. One is the parents who intentionally made that choice. Um, the other is the parents who um, fell into it just, you know, by default, because that little person wasn't staying in their bed. Um, but either way, there can come a time where it's just not working anymore for any number of reasons. It could be because your child is the wiggliest, squiggliest person ever, and you're constantly getting elbows in your ribs and so forth. Um, it could be because you want your privacy back. You know, there's all kinds of reasons that families sort of hit their wall with that. And so if your child is verbal, you can explain to them what you're doing and why you're doing it. And then have a conversation with your child where you say, so sweetie, you know, the way we've been doing it, we've been sharing a bed in mommy and daddy's room and you actually have your very own bed in your room. And I would probably actually start out by spending a lot of time in that room if you aren't already playing in there. So that becomes a place that your child feels safe and comfortable and happy just for a good week or so prior to doing anything else. And then this is one of the times when you're going to do sleepover party for sure in your child's room. So the very first step in this case, I would set up the bed on the floor and I would sleep with your child in that bed. And so the only thing that's changed is the, the location. 
you're still there, you're still next to each other, you can do that for a few nights. And um, then you can, you know, have that bed right next to your child's bed and you can help them be in their bed and you're lying down in your mommy or daddy bed. And, you know, a child who's used to sleeping next to you, skin to skin, is probably going to try pretty hard to come down into that bed. And so you just have to keep helping them back and helping them back and helping them back. And the first night, you know, they're going to get out of that bed 50 billion times. So just hang in there. And again, you're right there. You haven't abandoned them. There may be tears. There may be feelings. Um, that's okay because you're right there. So, you know, it's it's really similar to um, when you have to set a boundary on, you know, um, having a cookie at five o'clock or yes, you do have to get in your car seat. You know, there's a bunch of things that you have to do as a parent to take care of your child. And if sleep isn't happening, which is usually the biggest reason why families want to stop doing the family bed, your child and or you aren't sleeping, then there's a bigger picture here. And that's, you know, everybody's well-being. So you can help explain to an older child that they need their good sleep in order to think smart thoughts and to have enough energy to, to play during the day and stuff like that. Can you please share your thoughts on the separation of a door? In terms of? In terms of our children and that when we leave a room, we're not really leaving. Ah, yes. So um, the way that I like to think about this is even after your physical umbilical cord is cut, there is an invisible umbilical that connects especially a mom with her child. And that bond transcends physical proximity. So, you know, holding and touching and, and closeness is, of course, vitally important for babies and children. But um, the absolute truth is that even when child and mommy's or child and daddy's bodies aren't in the same place, that child is always in your heart and you're always in theirs. And the earlier you can help instill that, inside of a child, the easier time they will have with separation um, because it's really true. And so, you know, you can be anywhere in the world and be thinking about your child and holding them in your heart and loving them. And that's a very real experience that, you know, you and that child are having. How many moms have you heard say, you know, they think about their baby and they get milk let down, you know, it's like <laughs> it happens. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a really nice thing to remember if you do decide to have your, your older baby sleep in a separate space. So when we end up with the toddlers and it's, it's got its own bag of tricks, I remember getting the book when Sabrina was born, the, uh, go the F to sleep. And I laughed at it, but I didn't totally get it yet. I because wish we wrote that book. It's a, right. <laughs> it's a different type um, of frustration with toddlers. Yes. And they're so smart and they're so good at their requests and their manipulation. At least my little one is. I mean, she's so good. And now, Jen, man, I get it. Moving. I know we're asking a lot of her. Here's the problem for me, uh, on the weekends especially. If she comes in our room in the middle of the night, 
she'll sleep into like eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. So there's like that bonus. Yes. So <sighs> when they're older and you're being safe, there really isn't a downside to sharing a bed with your child. Except I only want to do it sometimes. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's that's like, tougher. That's yeah. tougher. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, you're it's, like, I kind of want to go on a date with that guy on Friday night, but not always. <laughs> and with Sabrina, it's like, like, yeah, it's really good on the weekends because then she'll actually sleep in and not wake up at 6 a.m. But it's hard during the week. Yeah. Slippery slope. And I don't want to just be co-sleeping with a preschooler. Well, you guys are also in a phase of your relationship right now where she sees mommy's belly growing. She knows a baby's coming soon. And I think there's a very natural thing that happens between a mom and an older child when another baby's on the way where you're kind of, you know, cherishing these last few weeks and months of just having each other and that closeness that will never be quite the same. It'll, your family will be wonderful in lots of other ways, but it'll never be quite like this. And so there is often this desire, you know, to kind of have extra special connection. Oh, yeah. oh my God. And Jen, last night, she, in the middle of the night, so she came in because she's been having nightmares or she has growing pains with her legs. And like, what do you do? I don't want to. So she comes in and then she gets up close to me and she's like, can we hold hands? Oh. And she falls asleep holding my hand. What am I supposed to do? So dear. So how far away are you now from your... Oh, my God. Well, I'm supposed to be on modified bed rest, everybody. So it could be any day. No, I'm supposed to... I'm due in July. Okay. So you're kind of heading into the home stretch here. The way that I would be thinking about this is you can sort of squeak by with, you know, letting this be if you want to for a little while longer. And then when you get to about four weeks from your due date, mm -hmm. you're going to have to turn the ship around if you don't plan on continuing to share a bed with your older child. Because how do we do this with an infant? Yes, that's right. So you've got the older kid who's not yeah. sleeping and you've got an infant who's not sleeping. And I got a listener who recently reached out to me about this because she was like, what do I do? I'm losing my mind. You just it's like a ping pong ball. You just go back and forth between the two needy children. That is nobody's picnic. So that's why you, you don't wait till the last minute. You got to kind of get like a month out, no less than that. And I'm a fan of making little books for kids to explain life changes. So I would make a little book for her and call it Sabrina Sleeps in Her Bed. <laughs> <laughs> and page one, Sabrina's been having a hard time resting her body at night, and she's been coming into mommy and daddy's bed to snuggle. Next page. And the way that we actually do it in our family is that everybody sleeps in their own bed. So mommy talked to a special sleep teacher. You can use me. Oh, yeah. And mommy and Jennifer, the sleep teacher, came up with lots of good ideas about how to help you, honey. So here's what we're going to do from now on. And then the next page is you walk her through the same old wind-down routine that you have already. So she's like, okay, cool. This part's, I get this. This isn't changing. And then mommy or daddy will talk you in and say goodnight. If you call for us... We'll come and check on you, but we're not going to lie down in your bed and See, we're not going to lie down yeah. in mommy and daddy's bed. So you kind of spell this out in advance in a book. Wait, so I'm, <clears throat> for the sake of the book, <laughs> when I draw the illustration of me uh, walking in <laughs> to her room, what I, what do I say to her or what do I not say to her? And how do I keep her in there? Do I have a at the gate? This is key because... As you know, 
There's a hotline that every child calls and says, oh, you said your toe hurts and that got them back in. Thanks. I'll totally use that. There's a million things they all say. Now, I'm very suspicious about these growing pains. I'm too hot. I have to tell you something. It's important. You know, there's like just an endless list. So I'm hungry. I'm I'm thirsty. Oh, yeah. And they know what's going to kind of make you go, oh, my God, maybe she really is hungry. She didn't eat a lot for dinner. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for any of it. So what you got to do is have a nice, warm, cozy, cuddly wind-down routine, say goodnight, and then everything after that needs to be boring. So there's only two things that are going to happen if she's awake. Either she's going to stay in her bed and call you in, you're going to pop your head in and say, shh, 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 mommy's here, night, night. Do not engage. Do not go back and forth with questions. Do not, you know, talk to her. What if she's crying? Well, she might be. So even if she's crying, you pop your head in and say, mommy or daddy's here, sweetie. We love you very much. Night, night. Now, it might actually work better to have daddy go in. No, he's the favored. Okay. But and just the pushover. Okay. Well, in <laughs> that no, case, forget it. No, come on. Please help me. Sorry. But only because mommy's belly is growing. So sometimes right. it's more intense, actually, for them to see you. It's harder for them to see you mm-hmm. than daddy. So you can play around with that. But um, the key is to not go too much into your engagement because that's reinforcing to her being awake. Yes. If she gets out of her bed, which is likely... Oopsie, sweetie, you got out of bed. Let mom or dad help you back to your bed. Help her back to her bed. Do not fluff the pillow. Fix the blanket. Give her water. Scratch her back for another minute. Read another story. Because, again, all of that will be reinforcing to her being awake. It's interesting. If there's anything yeah. she's getting out of it, it's going to keep going. So, What about potty training? Do you help her go pee, but you just kind of pretend to be a zombie while you help her go pee? Is she potty training at night or in the day? She's totally potty trained during the day. Occasionally, she'll say she has to pee at night, and we get very excited about it. Does she almost always have a dry diaper in the morning or not yet? Mostly. She does. Okay. So she's a little early, actually, for that. Except for that one time I forgot to put the night diaper on her, (laughs) and I also forgot to put the mattress cover on her mattress, and it was a brand new mattress. Figures. Well, in that case, um, I would build in one last trip to the potty before you say goodnight. I would give her the benefit of the doubt once upon any wake up. Mommy, I need to use the potty. Take her to the potty. Let her do her business. If nothing's happening after a couple of minutes, great try, honey. We'll try again later. Take her back to bed. Make it boring. Good night. Get out of there. Good night. And then if there's more requests for potty in that same wake up, mm -mm, because you already went. Great. So do I have a gate to keep her out if she doesn't want to stay in the bed? You know, funny enough, I know we mentioned a gate in our book. And I'm not a fan of the gate anymore. The book was written 10 years ago, and I've changed my mind. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> so we've got our own scandal here on Atomic Moms. It's the Sleepy Planet Gate. Okay, what? It, tell us. So we used to say, um, if you had a little person coming in and out of their room, that you could put a safety gate on the door with vertical slats so they can't dig in and climb. Yeah, and I love it. That would be a, a <laughs> containment factor. And uh, what I tended to find is that it just upset kids too much. Really? Too okay. Much. Well, it just depends on the kid. It Sabrina depends on never, the kid. Yeah. Sabrina didn't even notice she was in a crib until she was watching a movie trailer for Boss Baby and was like, can I have a bed like that kid? <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> like, Boss Baby. <laughs> I was like, Adam, stop letting her watch these movie trailers. She was fine with her crib. 
<sighs> but okay, I understand that for a lot of children, that would be very upsetting yeah. to have the bars. So you don't really need it if you're consistent in walking them back, walking them back, walking them back. So after that first time, whoopsie, sweetie, you got out of bed. Let me help you back. No more talking. Boring. Nothing interesting about this. Might as well go back to sleep. The tears will be there. So obviously this is the hard part, but you're not abandoning your child. You're right there because you're walking them back or you're popping your head in every few minutes. And you know what I find about this whole sleep thing? It becomes this sort of container for so many things that kids have stored up emotion about that they haven't released. It could be anything from the ambivalence of growing older and getting more independent from you to there's a baby coming and I have mixed feelings about sharing my mommy to, you know, there's a friend situation at school that's, you know, making me feel uneasy. It could be so many different things. And so the tears may come, the emotional storm may come. And as long as you're present and available and there and you're not, you know, you're you're not feeding into it, nor are you ignoring that, then honestly, no harm will come to them. And it's just a normal, natural release of emotion that usually takes no more than a night or two of that intensity. And then kids can relax. Now, I just want to say one thing. There's an alternative way to go about this. If your child has quite a bit of emotion about separating a lot of anxiety, a lot of big feelings, um, in that case, there's really two components to this. One is bringing down and calming those big feelings. The other is the sleeping. So in that case, what I usually recommend is setting up a mommy or daddy bed in your child's room with an air mattress or a futon on the floor. And you say to your child, I see that you're having a really hard time with this. So you know what? Mom or dad's going to have special sleepover party for a couple nights to help you feel all safe and snug in your bed. And you do everything else the same. Wind down routine is the same. Good night is the same. And from that bed, you either say, shh, shh, mommy or daddy's right here. If they're just in their bed and trying to engage, or if they get out, oh, the first time only, let me help you back. And then you walk them back, walk them back with no talking. And then you slowly, after they're getting the hang of it, the sleeping part, they're settling easily and sleeping through after a couple of nights, you start moving that bed little by little by little out the door. It takes longer than the other method. And again, this is really for a child that's got, you know, evidence of a lot of emotion around separating for sleep. So what I'm hearing you say is that parenting takes <clears throat> a lot of patience and a lot of backbone. <laughs> <laughs> and a good night's sleep and a glass of wine never hurt anybody. Yes. <laughs> and, and I'm so glad you brought up um, that about the bed, because I was going to ask, because I, I know that you also recommend that when you are transitioning your baby into a toddler bed, which, by the way, you say don't get a toddler bed, just get a real bed, right? Yeah. So um, really, we like to wait until about age three to make that transition. Like, the kids, and why would you do that? I mean, I guess if they're trying to climb out. If they're climbing out. So there used to be That's this. That's the most judgmental <laughs> I've got on Tom Ron's, but I'm like, why wouldn't you keep them <laughs> contained as long as possible. Well, yeah, you know, you raise a good point because it's deceptive. You don't realize how containing that crib is. It's like I can take all these leaps and bounds forward developmentally during the day and I can regress into the safety and containment of my good old crib at night. So, you know, don't be fooled by your your child saying seeming like, wow, they're getting so big and so good at so many other things. Why not put them in a bed? Really wait until they're at least three if they're not climbing out because they need, number one, impulse control. 
Number two, the language to be able to understand the rules and expectations around staying in a bed. So there used to be a thing called a crib tent that you could get for a kid who was climbing out. They weren't safe. They're, you can't even get one anymore. So now if you do have a child who's climbing out, you do have to put them in a bed early, push it into a corner, get a safety rail for the other side, and definitely do sleepover party in that case. When I bring home uh, Sabrina's baby <laughs> this July, there's going to be a lot of crying. Do I put a box fan back in Sabrina's room? Do I? Because t- for a long time, we ha- it was kind of like a wind tunnel in Sabrina's <laughs> room, which was great because our dogs were always like, otherwise would be waking her up. The problem is we all became kind of dependent on sleeping with a box fan, I think. Like our whole family became dependent on the box fan. Like we'd go to a hotel and we wouldn't know how to sleep because we didn't have <laughs> oh, a dear. box fan. But so how do I deal with the noise factor of having an infant and a preschooler? Well, first of all, let's not put it out there that there's going to be a lot of crying because you never know. You might get a Buddha baby who barely cries at all. I really want a Buddha baby. (laughs) It could happen. I know. Marie's got one. Teresa's got one. Like, how do I sign up for a Buddha baby? I think you're due. I think I'm due. Although my mother-in-law was like, she she texted me back because I was saying that this one is, she just kicks and flips and has a dance party all day long and all night long. And she was like, yeah, this, she's like, your DNA, like the two of you, she's like, is, you, you're not getting a calm baby. Well, you never know. But you never know. if it happens. I'd have so much to learn from a calm baby coming into my life. <laughs> Universe, please. <laughs> well, she may have periods of calm and she may have periods. Yeah. You know, it's normal. I'm teasing you, of course, but it's normal for babies to cry and express and um, you know, if if that's the case, that the baby's up and, you know, sometimes crying and what have you. Mommy's crying. <laughs> Mommy's <laughs> crying. There's just, it's just a wet family. Um, you know, the, the deal with white noise, this has changed a little bit too um, in the last couple of years, what we know about white noise. So um, it's, there still hasn't actually been a study that looks at Um, white noise and children's sleep specifically. The most recent study that came out looked at the decibel output of different kinds of white noise machines for kids and the safety of the loudness Mm -hmm. of that. So the important consideration here is that you um, keep it no louder than the baby's cry and several it's really loud <laughs> and several feet away from the crib yeah. now the other thing that you can do if it's really the older child that you're protecting is put some white no- noise outside of her room okay yeah and that'll that. help protect so and we just got the big box fans from CVS and uh supposedly that also helps potentially with SIDS. Yes, it is beneficial and you know just to touch back on SIDS for a second we still don't know what SIDS yeah. is we don't know what it is. Um, the most risk is in that first six months. So that is why the AAP recommends, especially the first six months being nearby. But you're absolutely right. There are other protective factors, including a fan, including uh, using a pacifier, certainly putting a baby down on their back, no pillows or blankets in the crib. So if you follow all of those things, you're doing everything you can. So next week on Atomic Moms, Jennifer is going to be sharing a meditation with us. So please come back next week to listen. I'm counting on it being a thing that you can come back to again and again um, because some of us just need that 10 minutes of listening 
and recentering ourselves, be able to reconnect with our children and not be totally crazy pants. So that's my hope for next week. What I will leave you all with today, I haven't done a mom bomb in a really long time, but here is one from Jennifer Waldberger that I'm going to share. Um, and I'd love to hear a final thought on it, Jen. Um, it's our perception of a child is not who she actually is. We will meet her only when definition, description, and desire to know her fall away. So the more ideas we have about who a child is, the less we're actually able to meet them in relationship. And it's so tempting, especially when their little personalities start to come forward, to start to tag and label those different aspects of who she is. But your child and all of us are bigger than any label that we could ever put on them. And so if you can stay in the sweetness of just being with them, um, they'll show up as who they are in that moment. And that's the greatest gift that any child could ever have. Boom. Uh, everybody subscribe on iTunes. Go to iTunes.com backslash Atomic Moms. Uh, you can also stream us at AtomicMoms.com. We are a top-rated podcast on iTunes and 100% independently produced. So help us out by sharing with mom friends and your Facebook groups. Uh, and for guidance, support, and sample sleep schedules, along with other resources, please go to Jennifer Waldberger's website, SleepyPlanet.com. Until next week, trust in your goodness live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. 